Let's take a quick break and hear from today's show sponsor. Are you struggling to close deals? Cold outreach can be a slow and brutal process. And in many scenarios, it's just wasting the time of both the buyer and the seller, especially when business owners who are trying to find qualified buyers are using inaccurate and outdated data. But it doesn't have to be this way. With LinkedIn Sales Navigator, your organization can overcome these challenges by leveraging this amazing technology and platform that translates comprehensive, high-quality buyer data into real-time insights and sales. These deeper insights empower sales reps and teams to adopt the habits of top performers, which leads to much better outcomes like build and bigger pipeline with real customers leading to higher win rates and conversions, and of course, larger deals and paydays all around. We call this deep sales and LinkedIn has built the first deep sales platform with the next generation of LinkedIn sales navigator. Right now, our Millionaire Mindcast family has an amazing opportunity to try LinkedIn sales navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com forward slash mindcast. That's linkedin.com forward slash mindcast for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com forward slash mindcast and get started. I'd be very cautious of buying off of Airbnb numbers for a rental in suburban markets. What, be cautious of that. I can't just look at the rent. Because I know a lot of people that underwrote their, you know, investment and the income it's going to generate in a suburban area based on Airbnb numbers versus a midterm or a long-term, you know, conservative number that you would get for rent. And those people are hurting. They're either liquidating the assets they're carrying an upside down, you know, in the red mortgage every single month. And so thinking about that, be cautious of that. What's going on, guys? Welcome into today's episode of Money Yo. Moves. I am your host, Matty A, my co-host, Mr. Brian Breedwell. What up, guys? What it do, brother? We cover all things stocks, real estate, investing, and personal finance on this episode of Millionaire Mindcast to help you on your journey to a million and beyond. Mm -hmm. Everything from world news, economics, and of course, what's going on in the financial markets and the real estate market. We got some great updates for you guys in today's show. Big news on CPI and inflation. We'll get Mm -hmm. the stock market's reaction. We'll get Mr. Breedwell's reaction. We will get the National Association of Realtors reaction and how that ties into rates in the housing market. We've got some thoughts and some feedback coming in from Mr. Breedwell on his biggest concern that he's paying attention to in the market right now and why it matters to you. Mm-hmm. Big news for Airbnb this Huge. week and how that ties into all of my hospitality and short-term rental investors. Google's big AI mishap Mm. and how that impacted their stock and how they potentially can recover. We'll be talking about Ray Dalio's thoughts around cash. Should you be sitting in his cash trash or should you be holding the bag and seeing some dry powder? That is all to be covered in today's episode. First and foremost, how was the Super Bowl? Super Bowl was good. I had a uh, fun time, made some beer cheese, hung out at the house, just watched the game, and had a chill evening. Who were you rooting for? Kansas City. KC. Yep, so I got what I wanted. Uh, you know, being a Niners fan, you, it's hard to root for the team 
that beats you that some people are like, no, you root for the team that beats you because you want to see them see it all the way through. But I was rooting for uh, for my man, Travis Kelsey and, and Casey mm-hmm. as well. My grandma who passed away this year is a Casey fan. So I was stoked for her. $16 billion in bets. Bet. According yeah, to DraftKings, that. that was, um, well, this was the first year you could legally nationwide bet on the Super Bowl, Super Bowl. Yep. $16 billion in bets. A lot of the conspiracy theorists out there that were upset about that holding call at the end of regulation that really kind of solidified it for Kansas City. Yeah. Um, as they start digging into more of these bets, the majority of the bets for the winner of the Super Bowl was on the Eagles. So some people, of course, are speculating if there was some funny business going on there with the refs. But man, that was a fun game. Yeah, and I think that a lot of people put the money on the Eagles because that one picture that leaked, it was like the Eagles are winning 37-34 and it ended up being... Pretty damn close. Kansas City won 37-34. That was crazy. Yeah, we got the USFL starting in like eight weeks. Did you hear about that? What, is that the Rocks League or no? No, so... Or is that like a new league? We got a new league, but it's like the minor league feeder for the NFL. And they're going to set it on live TV and it's in the off season. (laughs) But there's like... They have some serious players that are not like the backup quarterbacks. They go and they start in that league. So it's a way for them to actually get touches and stuff. And obviously they can generate. So kind of like baseball, basketball, D league, you know, it's going to be, I think a B league. And I think it's the only B league that's like directly affiliated with the NFL. Love it. Yeah. More football. I'm always, I'm always down for more football. Of course, we've had some interesting stuff go on. Oh, yeah. Worldwide with balloons and all kinds of UFOs and UAPs, unidentified aircraft phenomenons is what they're calling those. Couldn't tell. Being shot down four in the last 10 days. And a lot of people were saying, hey, what's going on? Like the the administration's got to share some. Are we being attacked right now? As you know, you hear all these crazy stories roll out um, on social media. And essentially what the now government administration has said is, because of what happened with China, now they've kind of expanded their monitoring and they're looking for more stuff. Hence, they're finding more stuff. But a lot of people still feel like it might be a smokescreen and they're just trying to get people a little bit more distracted as we have this big Ohio train Mm -hmm. crash that you know, it was a big fire. Seems pretty terrible. A hundred mile radius. You got people getting sick. You got animals dying. It's potentially one of the largest climate issues and hazardous, um, natural hazardous uh, issues in the world since, yeah, since Chernobyl. Mm-hmm. Of course, the media is not talking about that. Of course, our climate, um, you know, I think... Uh, what's the word for them? The climate, the people that are really obviously, you know, getting out there and, and, you know, shouting from the rooftops about climate change and being upset about it are nowhere to be seen or covering this story. So that's always interesting Not to me. Covering the Nord Stream pipeline story as well, because if I think they essentially found enough data to say that Biden administration ordered the explosions and attack on the Nord Stream pipeline to try to frame it on Russia so they could escalate the arms being sent to Ukraine. Man, again, all of that sounds so conspiracy theorish, right? And yet, as you start to see things play out, yeah. more data comes out. A lot of this stuff is not as unbased as many people want to claim it to be. Ghislaine Maxwell court documents are to be unsealed this week relating to Jeffrey Epstein. Supposedly, they're going to re- it's going to reveal 167 names of people 
that were basically addressed or named over the course of the Kate uh, the the court case. Um, I saw somebody joking around about it of if there was the majority of Republicans on that list, it would have already been been published and yeah. they would have been covering it. So uh, that's going to be really interesting. But it's uh feels like a lot of tension going on right now, globally, nationally, a lot of division. I guess this is something that we continue to be more and more uh, accustomed to. But yeah. um, we're going to talk about how some of this stuff and of course the data that was released this week, more importantly ties into your finances. Mm-hmm. Today is, what 14th. is it? We got the Valentine's, Valentine's Day. Day. Special day, love is in the air. And uh, we're going to make some love to your money making goals in mm-hmm. today's episode. I like so that. biggest news today was CPI. CPI. Inflation. It, it came in as expected. So based on... Because all this stuff I'm seeing that is missed. Forecast was 62 no, it was not. It wasn't. So no, this it was is six, what... It was 6.5 headline, 6.4 core, and it came in at 6.5 headline and 6.4 core. Okay. Bank consensus, which is not a data point. It's an opinion. It's almost like our opinion. Right. They asked the... I think it's the seven largest banks what their estimate was for what it was to be, and it came out to average 6.2. That is not an official... That's If you go into FinViz and you go look at the official reports, it'll tell you it came out on par. So that's incorrect information. Yeah, a lot of I don't know why. This is when I was getting mad that the you notice I was getting upset last year when the media was harping on headline and then they conveniently switched over to core after I had been harping on that that is more important than this. And I talked about OER, then OER came into the news. I'm telling you that you know that rate cuts are that the way they're supposed to be. That got that starts to happen. Told you recession is probably not going to happen. I've been saying that for eight months. Now they're saying recession is, if there is going to be a recession, it's likely going to be very shallow and mild. There's a lot better data than what the news gives you. And that's, again, where I have my team and that's what they do and that's the data they crunch and send to me. And that's why we love them. They're saying, though, now, um, based on the CPI that came in today, because it hit, even though it is another month-over-month decline and a year-over-year decline as well, um, they're thinking that this brings that 50-50 more so back into the table for a potential for another rate hike of 25 basis points. Uh, the bond market is torn because I saw the yields go up with the stock market kind of going up as well a little bit today, especially on the NASDAQ, some more of our tech-heavy friends. Um, that is not the movement you necessarily want to see. It's not indicative of something terrible, but it's not the movement that we want to see. So is that... Kind of one of your biggest concerns that you're paying attention to right now is this 10-year... Two-year, 10-year spread. And then I'm really just looking at the 10-year. Because what I want to see is when when bond yields go down, I want to see the lower-end yields going down more than the yields on the higher end. So I want the 30-year yield to be dropping by half a percent and I want the two-year to be going down by 2%, right? Yep. That way the yield curve starts to get flattened and back in line of where it's supposed to be, where longer-term debt pays more than shorter-term debt. And that's how it should be. Um, I think what's going to continue to happen, we're probably going to get some CPI reports that are reported that they're going to be higher, but they're actually in line. Um, remember, this is the first year where we're doing a one-year look back versus a two-year chained look back. Um, so that's going to help the data. It's convenient on timing, I agree, but that's the, the, the timing is, is what it is. Um, I would anticipate that once we get through June, we're going to see aggressive 
negative numbers on CPI, negative, like big time. Hey, it's, it's, you know, expected to be 0.5 and it's minus 1.2. So we're going to see stuff like that probably coming around the July time. And then that's why I'm saying maybe if that continues to happen, that'll let the Fed say, okay, now we're way ahead. You know, we're too far ahead on our skis and we're going to fall forward. Mm-hmm and cause a melt up if we don't cut interest rates. So now let's cut interest rates. I'm still in that camp towards the end of the year, regardless of if they raise by 25 or they pause in the next meeting. And I'm hoping that they pause. Um, but I was really hoping for a 6.3, uh, a, a 0.3 print today on the uh, core. That would have probably set the stock market up by like two and a half, three and a half percent and uh, put a nice little catalyst in through the end of the week. But you don't always get what you want in the stock market. Don't always get what you want. Well, National Association of Realtors, Chief Economist Lawrence Yoon kind of came out with their formal response and instant reaction to CPI data. Uh, The stubbornly high and rising rents are keeping consumer prices elevated. Mm -hmm. We've been talking about that, right? Of just the cost of housing being... The shelter rate is, is, is a is an issue right now because it's skewing data. Mm, exactly. Yeah. The Federal Reserve therefore cannot yet relax on its monetary tightening policy. Mortgage rates could linger at around six and a half for a few more months before heading below 6% by summer and maybe even five and a half by the end of the year. Mm. Specifically in January, tenants of apartment and single family homes paid 8.6% more in rents this year versus 12 months ago. Moreover, the monthly change was 0.7 or 8.8% on an annualized basis. That was a big contributor to the overall consumer price inflation running at 6.4% and well above the comfort level of 2% inflation. But rent relief is on the way. Apartment construction activity is at a 40-year high. As these new empty units steadily reach the market, rent growth will tame down that will also pull back the overall consumer price inflation, right? With that number really being a big inflator of the overall number that is being read. And building permits is for commercial and and that's not SFRs. That's actually apartments and condos, right? Yes. Okay, so, and that's why I was saying on on Thursday, the building permit housing starts come out. I could care less about housing starts. I want to see building permits get caught up so I can get that rent. Um, not rent control. I want y'all to make lots of money on your rentals. Um, but when rent continuously goes up and it squeezes people, they can't spend their money elsewhere. And we want them to spend money in other places too. We don't want to be, don't want to be so greedy. So to wrap up on Lawrence Yoon's statement, what is needed in addition to active apartment construction is the building of single family homes. There are not many listings of homes for sale. I don't agree with As that. As mortgage rates dip in the future months, buyers will return. But without supply, another revival of multiple bidding could occur, which a lot of people are already kind of stating the fact that um, inventory is still remaining as low as it is. We don't need people buying houses right now, though. That's the other thing. And we don't need people... People don't need to be buying or selling their houses right now. That's not going to help or, or really even hurt the real estate market. What people I need mean, to do I, is I still pay think the, it's a necessary part of the market, right? I mean, just like... I think there needs to be... I, just I, like consistency is necessary evil of... Your side of the market, correct? Same but sometimes on the real estate side too. Sometimes you don't want to. Sometimes we shift to different sectors, though. And I think the sector in housing that needs to be more focused on right now is going to be commercial apartments. I really don't think how how is it more efficient for us to get somebody and tighten their monthly budget? You know, like my neighbor, right? 
if you were to buy the house next to my house mm -hmm. and I had the equivalent house and I bought it two years ago, you're paying double the mortgage. Mm -hmm. So to me, that that's 50% more that can be spent less elsewhere versus rents are a lot more affordable. People can use them to transition into housing. And that also allows for a refinance on some of those mortgage rates to happen. I'm looking for more a refi boom than I am. But a. there's still a significant amount of equity that's getting unlocked that becomes disposable income to be distributed elsewhere in the, in, in the economic marketplace, right? Correct. But when you unlock it and you have to re-leverage and you're re-leveraging at two to three times the rate that you were... That's the, that's where you're not always going to get people that redeploy that into home ownership though, too. Correct. Which is why I'm saying to my other point, apartments are important because they can hold on to that money and wait. Or people that got like, I think if there's an opportunity to buy now, you should not wait because you're going to, you're in a buyer's market, right? Buyer's markets are uncomfortable for both parties, but it's the way you're going to get the best deal because you have leverage of, of being the transaction goer. Somebody wants to sell their house. They just have to meet your terms. I just... I think there's a lot of new houses that are not uh, that are not coming available yet. There's been a, some pause in construction for uh, seasonality. I think they're going to finish those up. They're going to hit the market here in the summertime. I don't think we're getting back up to... We're going to have a shortage again, which I think is going to be a healthy shortage. And I think we should probably catch up next year as far as inventory being where it needs to be, I think that's going to be a 2024 story. I have, I have... Yeah, inventory is still extremely there's low. There's no way Decreased 3% week over week. Yeah. Um, if you look at, let's see here, inventory was up 78% compared to the same week in 2022. Which is good. Which is good, but it's down 45% compared to the same week in 2019. So we're okay, still... We're like, we just broke over half about a month or two ago, right? Yeah, I mean, we're yeah. still practically 50%. I think that's good though. Because I think what that does is when... In, imagine this. Imagine an inventory boom, right? So interest rates start going down. So builder activity goes up. Great for the stock prices. Great for, for people that are going to buy homes. Now you have interest rates going down and houses being finished. They can finish a house in six to eight months if they need to on track, right? Mm -hmm. You have all these people getting into the market at better interest rates, buying houses at a better price, getting interest rates at a better price, and then they're getting into those houses and then they're buying products for those houses that drive into our you know, consumer discretionary, consumer defensive. Um, you're talking about Target. We're talking about Kroger. We're talking about Kimberly Clark for your home. That's what buying a home does. And you want people to buy houses in a healthier interest rate environment, in my opinion, than see more people buy houses in a less healthy interest rate environment because it tightens cash flow. Yeah, sure. That's where the only concern for me is if we have a housing boom, but interest rates do stay higher than normal for longer, we're talking six, five and a half percent. That's a big deal. Three, that three, four hundred dollars a month is a big deal to some people. Yeah. Key will be when inventory starts increasing in 2023 because we really haven't seen that. You know, a lot of people have been talking about it, right? Of, oh, we're going to see, you know, the market pull back in terms of, you know, values and of demand. The thing is, you know, all of this is really driven. I mean, demand is being I see fall curbed. Starting. I think fall is when you're going to start to see a drastic curve up. And then... Yeah, I think it's going to be towards the end of the year. because yeah. It's kind of like I mean, when interest rates... Obviously, inventory bottoms out usually in February, March every year, and then starts to creep back up throughout the year based on seasonality. So far, inventory has declined almost 10%, 9.7% over the first six weeks of 2023. 
That's pretty isn't staggering. That, isn't, do you think that has something to do with the fact that we had that dip in interest rates back down around the five and a half percent zone there for a th- few weeks? And so some absolutely. I mean, most of the mortgage brokers sure. that you know I talk to that I know are big players doing relative volume, and then obviously keeping up with MortgageNews.com. You know, every time there's any little bit of relief in mortgage rates dropping people are getting back off the fence and feeling like this is their opportunity and you're starting to see some multiple bidding on certain products, mm-hmm. certain markets. That being said, you know, we're not talking like what we saw 12 months ago when no. things were insane, multiple bidding wars, 2050, you know, $7,500,000 over asking. But at the same time, there still is a heavy amount of demand where we've got a lot of dry powder, still a decent amount of, you know, equity that still needs to get absorbed into the marketplace. Yep. And the people that, you know, were maybe on the fence when they see a little glimmer of hope and with the market they, being where it's bounce. at right now, they're, yeah, they're, they're striking while the iron's hot. Yeah, they're getting yeah. back in the game. Especially so, on these new builds. So that's going to be interesting to kind of see how this all ties out or ties into, you know, what actual dips we see in terms of home values in the case shiller you know, pri- uh, price index. Um, because... If it kind of stays the way it is right now, until we see a massive drop in you know rates, until we see a big uptick in supply, it could remain relatively steady through you know twenty twenty three. I would love to be wrong about the pricing of houses going down. I think they're they've already adjusted you know a few single digit percentages down, but nothing like what I was anticipating or even we were talking about at the beginning of the year. I think the market surprised everybody being better than it had been anticipated. The January effect obviously was a little bit in for the stock market, and we're seeing that fizzle out here a little bit in February, but um it's better than expected, which is good news for everybody. yeah, I mean, tone, if you pull up the realtor dot com graph on newly listed homes. You know, from this year to last year, new listed homes are yeah, like, down five point four percent. But it, and it, the craziest thing is, if you look at it, I mean, so this that data point down there at the bottom is the beginning of twenty twenty three, and where you look at you know all the remaining years of where they started, twenty twenty three is significantly lower than twenty two, twenty one, twenty nineteen, eighteen, seventeen. And obviously, they all move as the year, in lockstep, they do. Yeah. As the year, you know, as you go into right our, our spring and summer months, this? like you would expect. Then, if this was going to be a graph that would, you would expect to see a sharp uptick in the early, and then kind of a sharp decline in the back end, right? Yeah, yeah. I think I'm on par with that as well. So the fact that you know it's already starting much lower, the question becomes: is you know if it does stay within the same trend. Are we still going to end the year at relatively low inventory of newly listed homes? Mm. Or are we going to see, you know, that graph? Because if you look at 2020, right, it was going up seasonally the way it should have. Boom. Well, what happened in March, April, and May? Bam. Big drop down. That's the only inversion you see on this graph. Otherwise, they all, like you said, kind of flow in lockstep and, you know, peak out around summertime and then slowly Especially start 17 to, through 19. I mean, they were like, Yep. I mean, look at the starting points. They're all within 20,000 houses. So I just think it's, it's, it's interesting to see how, it, you know, how this year is starting out at an already you know, tight inventory and the fact that it's well below what other healthy levels of inventory looked like in previous years. And we know how those years played out. Mm-hmm. It's going to be very interesting to see how you know, this year plays out. And if we see the trend go up, 
or you know in this April May time frame if we really start to see you know newly listed homes continue to stay off the market because people don't feel like they have any options to you know exchange into or buy into or you know if they're going to get the values that they want or if it even makes sense based on where rates are at yeah so no i'm uh I'm seeing a lot more people on the buy and hold for rentals now because of where rent prices are. And I think, you know, where it was an A and B class market, you can even dip your toe into the C class market a bit and and get some good cash flow. Are you interested in boosting your income by an extra $50,000 this year? If so, you're going to love what I've got in store for you. I am beyond excited to officially announce an incredible opportunity to join me in my exclusive mastermind, which will include myself and 25 other hand-selected investors who are actively pursuing commercial real estate in 2024 and want to be held accountable to making sure they buy their first or their next commercial real estate investment property that will net them a minimum of $50,000 a year. This mastermind group will not only teach you how to do that, how to find, how to analyze, how to structure and buy these types of commercial real estate investment properties, but you'll also have an opportunity to be a part of an intimate group of high achievers that are going to take your network and your resources to a whole nother level. But here's the catch. Like I mentioned before, this is exclusive. We're only selecting 25 ambitious individuals for our founding members group who are serious and ready to take that next step in their commercial real estate investing journey. So if you are ready to increase your passive income by at least $50,000 in the next year with commercial real estate investing, then this is your moment. These spaces are gonna fill up fast. And trust me, this is the one and only time to be a founding member, which comes with some pretty special benefits. So head over to myfirst50k.com and submit your application now. Again, that's my first. 50k.com. You can head over there, check out the program, see everything that it entails, submit your application to join, and I can't wait to connect with you soon. So still TBD. So make sure you guys stay tuned. We'll be tracking all the data on that. Mm-hmm. Big news for Airbnb. Huge. They yeah. just posted almost 100% beat on their EPS. Their very first. Nope, that's Palantir. Was it? Yep. I Not thought it Airbnb. was Airbnb's first year of positive earnings. That was Palantir. You just jumped ahead. I got excited. It's okay. Palantir's up a shitload too. Uh, Airbnb reported an earnings per share beat on, a, I think it was $0.48 cents to $0.25 cents expected. And that's like a holy crap beat on earnings per share. It's almost double. Uh, gave positive uh, forward guidance. I haven't heard the earnings call, which is probably going on right about now, but I haven't heard that. Um, but gave positive guidance for the for the quarters ahead, which they're one of the tech, first tech companies that was not profitable uh, and had historically not been profitable to now be profitable and start get it, giving positive guidance, which I, I see the article up saying, you know, Airbnb bust. I yeah, think, pull pull that up, Tone. Let's let's because I'm I'm curious of Airbnb has had a ton of adoption. It's created a ton of opportunity in terms of an investment perspective. And what we're seeing in this, this is just one example. This was a guy that owns 95 Airbnbs in you know Phoenix and Scottsdale, which is where the Super Bowl was hosted. Mm-hmm. And he said over half of those 
were vacant. And he was slashing his prices 50% to try and get people in and still was unable to do so. Yeah, the teams are from (laughs) kind of far away, dude. (laughs) So one of the things, you know, he said market data suggests that increasing number of Airbnbs has outpaced traveler demand. I still think that is more of a speculation and an assumption than real data supports at the moment because that could really tie into so many people getting fired up about Airbnb. They got their stuff on the platforms. The platform is collecting more fees. Obviously, travel has been relatively strong and you know stable over the course of the last few years through the pandemic, but maybe softening up a little bit based on what data is showing. Um, specifically in... You know, what my thoughts are is these suburban markets where, you know, people are trying to turn their house in a neighborhood that not a ton of demand or destination is is built into it. There's not not great anchors around it. Whereas let's say like, you know, my stuff up in Tahoe, that's a leisure market that's got people coming to it year round all the time. Those Airbnbs, I think, are strong, stable and insulated. Then you got the urban markets and cores that maybe have the midterm, you know, traveler, traveling nurse, person for business, somebody coming in for a concert, you know, not necessarily going on a long vacation, but, you know, the short term type of stuff in and out. Urban markets, I still think in certain markets are going to be stable, strong and insulated. It's these suburban markets that I think a lot of people just thought, oh, well, putting my house on Airbnb makes it so much easier and simpler, the barrier of entry, you know, the uh, user interface and interaction has been simplified in so many different ways. So Airbnb benefited and did a really smart job by removing a lot of those barriers for the average person who's maybe not traditionally an investor They don't treat it like their everyday business or their everyday focus, but Airbnb made it easier for them to get on the platform. And Airbnb benefited, I think, from that on fees and from just increased inventory and traffic. Now, whether that's sustainable or not, I think is still to be determined. And I think we will probably see a pullback and some struggling of Airbnbs, which really probably shouldn't have been on the platform or really, you know, that great in the first place, but were available and probably still will be available, but the Airbnb hosts are going to be the ones that are going to probably get hurt Mm -hmm. in those particular markets, suburbs. Yeah, I think that um, the thing, the looming uh, elephant in the room for Airbnb is going to be the lack of not meeting the expectation or demands of clients as a hotel of an equivalent price and star class, you know, niceness, can provide. And I think I, when I've stayed in Airbnbs, I still prefer to stay in a hotel. Yeah. I, because they're staff and I don't want the person that lives there to be there. That's what that would be weird. But I don't mind when hotel staff are around because I know it's kind of like this accepted that this is their job. And so it's not anything I have to not worry about. So the, the problem for me is Airbnbs are starting to be more expensive and not live up to, I think the amenities or the convenience that a an equivalent hotel that's ran well has. Yeah. And I would give you an example of we both know that there's another Airbnb style hotel near yours, mm-hmm. but nobody's ever there. Mm-hmm. But it's different than having a technology forward thinking hotel like yours because somebody is digitally there. And oh, somebody yeah. is working to help you and host you if there's any issues versus, oh, I have to call this. 
It's like calling your landlord. You live hopefully you're, the answer. If hopefully, you're, yeah. Get if you're a out. renter, tell me when the last time when you called your landlord, you had, you know, hey, there's an issue and it was a smooth, easy transaction. It's like doing paperwork in the state of California. It just sucks. I mean, I think the point that I'm getting at is I think to your point, if you're an investor and you're thinking about Airbnb, I would lean towards leisure markets that have year-round travel. Yeah. It's a destination for people, sun, sand, snow, yeah, mountains, seasonal beach, either. whatever it may be. And cold weather. So thinking about good leisure markets that have year-round demand and are a destination, not just your physical property is the destination, but the surrounding area is a mm. destination that pulls people in. Same thing with urban markets. I'd be very cautious of buying off of Airbnb numbers for a rental <laughs> in suburban markets. What, so be Matt? cautious of that. I can't just look at the rent. Because I know a lot of people that underwrote their you know, oh, investment yeah. and the income it's going to generate in a suburban area oh, based Airbnb on numbers. Airbnb numbers versus a midterm or a long-term yeah. you know, conservative number that you would get for rent. And those people are hurting. They're either liquidating the assets they're carrying an upside down, you know, in the red mortgage every single month. And so thinking about that, be cautious of that. Ooh, but to the yeah. other side of it, I think the people, to your point, as you said, amenities, the right amenities, you know, the right customer service and the right experience on Airbnb those individuals are going to thrive Agreed. because they're going to separate themselves from a very large sea of Airbnb hosts that aren't treating it like a business, aren't thinking about those amenities and aren't thinking about those experiences for the customer. And those individuals are going to struggle while the others I think are going to do really, really well during this time. Because at the end of the day, even though travel may have some ups and downs, people still need to go have fun. They mm -hmm. still need to play. And if you're doing it in the right leisure markets or the right urban core markets, I think with those variables in mind, you can do really well and you can crush it. That's my two cents. Take it to the bank, baby. The only thing I'll add on housing right now, because I'm seeing a big surge on it, uh, not really on Airbnb, I guess if you're buying them, right? Seller, uh, seller to financing, you know, where you're, when you do seller carry, mm -hmm. um, that's really like, it was already like popular, then it got not popular. Now the interest rates are back up again. It's super popular. Somebody needs to hear this. Just because your seller will finance your deal, debt is debt to anybody that buys it. A bank looks at his debt. Another person that buys it is debt. Do not buy a deal just because it gets approved. I've seen like four people come across to me that have deals that they got and they're like, it's seller two and all this and that. And it just, I haven't ran the numbers, but I'm smart enough to know when I see a stinky piece of shit and I'm like, there's no way that that's going to work. You're at a nine and a half percent rate or excuse me, a seven and a half percent rate for how long? And you're going to try to make this pencil. I don't know if that's going to work guys. So just be careful. Just because something's approved, you got to make sure your deal pencils to Matt's point. Don't run it on the best case scenario. If it pencils on a midterm at a conservative number, it's probably going to pencil in your Airbnb numbers. Be happy with that. Be happy with being expecting a five and getting a 10. So I just want to add that in. So this last week, Google had a big AI mishap 
trying to compete with, you know, chat GPT, a lot of the internal chatter within Google was that the CEO really rushed it. They botched the release of their AI kind of competitor to chat GPT, which is Bard. Bard, not Bard. And they lost over $110 billion in market share. Is that something that investors should be worried about? Should investors be doubling down and potentially, you know, dollar cost averaging through that dip? What are your thoughts on the overall, you know, um, I guess, stock of Google and, and where they're, they're headed in the, the near and long-term future? I definitely see like for the long-term that ad revenue, which is what really spins Google's wheels, is going to get squeezed out by competitors because they're going to be able to take market share from Google. And we're talking about Microsoft via ChatGPT. Um, it was made clear that ChatGPT was a superior version of the product. And I agree with you. I think it's just because it was rushed. I think they came out and they said that's exactly why it's very important that you have to take your time and stuff, almost indicating that they probably rushed it. Yep. Um, do I think that's a reason to not invest in Google? No. Uh, I think just like Apple had to find its new thing from the iPod and they, they went on to the iPhone and now they're going on to other, other areas. You have to figure out all, all growth companies eventually become value companies or they get bought up or disbanded or whatever. Um, that's why I see Apple is in its back end of being a growth company. I don't know if Google has as much. I think it's going to be like a value tech company. Um, and I'm, I think we're going to be in the next couple of years seeing like some of these companies pay dividends like Apple um, and start passing through more of their capital gains on the short term and the long term. Um, I, I just don't know if it's a reason to get into Google. And I know it's for sure not a reason to get out of Google. I would just, if you're buying Google, and I do for a lot of my clients, I would say next time you're putting money in, Google's down, it would be a good idea to pick some up if it made sense for your portfolio. Um, the stuff I'm still looking at though is like software players in the technology space because mm-hmm. I think software is a little, it's kind of like, it's not correlated necessarily so much to the tech heavyweights. It's it's a product that anybody can use very easily, upscales easily, and it's a very cheap it's cheap. It has high margins. So I think software companies are going to be a big deal. And that's where we see Palantir today up 20% aftermarket because yeah, they had their first um, their first profitable quarter. And I think you're going to start seeing that a lot. I think Twilio, rest their soul, laying off another 17% of their... Uh, I saw that. 1,500 getting laid off Still love Twilio. <laughs> so the thing you can look at those, if you looked at how many people were hired versus how many people have been laid off, they oh, are still net... Pull that graph up because Amazon's is ridiculous. I know you said that to me. Yeah, somewhere. It's, it's still net positive by a lot. Um, and, and you know, but we're talking like they hired ninety thousand, they've laid off thirty, so there's still sixty thousand more workers they've hired year over year. Um, layoffs are going to happen. People are going to get jobs in other areas. That's indicative of the um, unemployment number being at three point five percent. So we'll wrap up on these two things. Uh, number one, for those of you who've been upset about uh, insider trading with politicians and how successful they've been, fret no longer. Mm. As of uh, earlier this week, you can trade the portfolios of politicians. There have been a few ETFs that have been opened. Uh, One that is live that reflects 
Republican, or I'm sorry, yeah, Republican Republicans, insider yeah. trading trends, potentially those that have done really well historically and have been um, speculated to have done insider trading. The ticker on that ETF is Cruz, K-R-U-Z. Mm. And of course, Democrats, no better person to represent with the ticker than N-A-N-C. Nancy. Nancy, our girl Nancy. So I thought that was pretty interesting, but you had mentioned... This is interesting. Not too likely Two that it's going to it's going to stick so much better. Yeah, because then there's a lot of legislation that's pending uh, to make it so politicians, and it's been bipartisan now because Nancy Pelosi's out, um, and a lot of the alligators are out. They're going to pass that, so they can't trade individual stocks. Because honestly, they just want to. You can still kind of insider trade with ETFs. They're just going to do ETFs because ETFs are funds that trade like stocks. So they're still going to do it. It's just going to be less. Less egregious because you won't buy the individual stock. Yeah. They're going to go in and buy it, say, oh, you know, we can go into his 5X leveraged option ETF because right when we did it, you know, the market went up 6%, so we made 30. It's just going to be done in a different way. But it'll be a better bad than the current bad we have. So let's wrap it up with your thoughts on Ray Dalio. Um, We all know Ray Dalio is a brilliant man and has... You know, very successful. a very successful track record, and has obviously been a very strong leader and pioneer in the financial you know space for many decades. His big shtick for a long time was cash is trash, cash is trash, cash is trash, right? And he's kind of changed his tune recently. Tony, you want to pull that clip up and let's listen in on what Ray Dalio has to say about cash. So we now in a classic spot where we've got. Uh, a relatively high real interest rate. Real interest rates went from minus 175 basis points to plus right. 175 basis points. Right, You've got a cash rate that's relatively high. Cash used to be trashy. Cash is pretty attractive now. You've got an inverted yield. And then again, you said trash is now more attractive? Cash, 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 cash is trash, is what you used to say. Yes, cash was tra- negative, right? One and a half, two percent real rates, terrible. Now cash is relatively attractive, right? So it's attractive in relation to bonds. It's actually attractive in relation to stocks. You have the classic movement, of course, as rates go up and money becomes tight. You lose the parts of the economy, the parts of the market that are the bubble parts that needed the cash flow, right? right. So you're seeing it reflected in um, not only, you know, long duration stocks, those that didn't have cash. You, so you see the tech stocks come down, all of that come down. You see private equity, you see venture capital because they needed cash. All of that comes down. So Mr. Dalio says cash is no longer trash, that it's relatively attractive based on the current economic landscape and some of the challenges, bottlenecks, issues that we're seeing. What are your thoughts and take on that? What do you say to the people that are wondering, should I stay invested? Should I go to cash? Should I have a certain allocation of cash for opportunities that might be coming? What are your thoughts? Uh, If you're invested, you stay invested and you keep buying because you should be getting a dividend yield close to real rates, if not higher than real rates, um, unless you're just overweight in all growth stocks and you're not going to be getting any dividend yield. Um, I don't think, I still, I'm still, I guess I'll say that I still think that too much cash is trash, but holding a slightly higher cash position, like sometimes I'm creeping up to about a 6 or a 7% cash position and then 
waiting on buy days to then deploy the cash, but I'm waiting to deploy the cash. I'm not holding the cash because it's got a better, uh, you know, relative rate compared to bonds or the interest rate risk on it is lower or, or what or the other points that he stated. Right. Cash is just dry powder. And long-term, trying to time the market proves to be a fool's errand. So putting the money to work and just letting it work is ultimately the best option. If you day trade... You, you can time the market on day trading because it's you're looking over a, f- a short period of time. It's just hard to pick on Monday what's going to even happen on Thursday. Mm-hmm. It's too much time and too much stuff to happen. So for me, I'd rather just say I'll hold cash as long as I need to deploy it. I'm not saying that cash is terrible, but I still would prefer to buy equities and average down positions that are still beat up or down before they recover so that I can make more of a return on the rebound. That to me just makes more sense as a long-term bullish investor. The thing that's easy about being a bull is you don't have to, you just are a bull or you're a bear. Um, that's when you get overly specific. Uh, you got the Robbie Kiyosaki's, the Ray Dalio's, because you're going to have to backtrack on it at some point because he is right. Cash does have it to his points. Cash is better in my opinion. If you can get, I can get four point. 7% on cash right now for a year. And I can get 43 to 5.5 on a corporate bond, but right. I have interest rate risk. Mm-hmm. So why not take away the interest rate risk and get a solid four to four and a half percent, right? Yep. So to me, there that's that's where I see he's he's right with his points, but yeah. I still don't think holding a heavy cash position does anybody good. I normally for like older people or retirees, I'll use uh, like fixed annuities as bond alternatives. So we have equity exposure and somewhat better growth than bonds. But I, I prefer to stay in equities if we're going to be in equities. Yeah, I think my my feedback on that or my stance on that is I'm going with default answer, Mr. Breedwell all day long, which is don't pull money out, stay invested no matter what. Then the, the secondary piece of it is, is if you have capital events in other areas outside of where you're already invested mm-hmm. um, in the stock market, for example, you know, I had some capital events and some real estate stuff. I am not feeling the pressure immediately to redeploy that cash. I'm being a little bit more cautious and looking at the overall landscape and the horizon and what kind of some of the hurdles and or opportunities currently are and future might be coming down the pipeline and building up a little bit more of a cash, you know, war chest. Because based on the landscape and the variables that we see, I think there is going to be some opportunity. But my default answer is I'm staying invested no matter what on my stocks. And if anything, I'm not only consistently continuing to invest based on my plan, the long-term plan that is happening year-round no matter what, I'm now considering looking at potentially ramping up some more opportunistic buys and continuing to deploy the cash on top of my Mm. plan that I'm already executing on. But I am also being considerate of on the real estate side of things, which is my core tree trunk, that I think there's some great opportunities coming and you know, being a little bit more cautious and patient is a prudent discipline right now just because of the overall landscape and where we know we're at. So cash is, you know, in my opinion, something that is really great to have a little bit more access and liquidity to when we're in a current market landscape on the real estate side of things right now. And if anything, I'm looking at ramping up and deploying more cash into what we feel is you know, in the long term, a discounted time to get into 
deploying more capital into the markets. Yep. Could you leverage and use the short-term cash for the real estate stuff and then you use some of that cash and put it into the long-term stuff and let that work too. So yeah, I would agree with you 100%. That's the... It's never a bad time to put money in the market. I try to avoid massive, massive, massive lump sums or if we get them, we right. try to spread them out. Um, but it's it's a... Man, people are going to be looking back over the next five years and, and they'll talk about getting in in 2022 and 2023. Yep. And, yeah. And as, like, man, as an I, man, I wish I would have put more in. Just like they did for 2007, 2008 yep. and like 2011. Yep. And even in early 2020, like, oh, people are like, I don't want to miss 2000. And, and then 2020, oh my gosh, man. Yep. I, remember, I remember people making 100% rates of return on ETFs. <laughs> Crazy. It was a, that was a wild year. Well, we'll keep you guys posted and be sure to tune in every single week and catch all of these interviews on Millionaire Mindcast at YouTube, also millionermindcast.com. You can check out all the episodes and show notes there. Don't forget to subscribe on whatever podcasting platform. If you enjoy the show, all we ask, take two minutes, head over to iTunes, leave us a review, any positive feedback. This is how we continue to share and spread the message with more people that are interested in participating in these money conversations. If you haven't taken advantage of your free financial x-ray, having somebody go through your investment portfolio with a fine tooth comb, that's something Ryan and his amazing team do for free for all our Millionaire Mindcast listeners. This is one of the most comprehensive plans you're going to get free of charge, mind you. Um, from a an amazing financial and wealth advisor and his amazing team. So you can text the word X-Ray to 844-447-1555 to take advantage of that. All my accredited investors, uh, if you're looking for syndication opportunities, passive income vehicles and opportunities, and you want to know more of what I'm rolling out in my pipeline, you can text the word DEALS to 844-447-1555. If you want to know more about upcoming events, you want one-on-one masterminds, mm. one-on-one coaching, one-on-one and or group events that we have coming up, head over to millionermindcast.com forward slash store to check those out. Or you can text the word events to 844-447-1555. If you guys aren't on my text letter, Get my weekly it. newsletter that I'm sending out, just text the word notes to that uh, same phone number. You can check that out and subscribe over at millionermindcast.com. That being said, keep investing in yourself and your wealth on your march to a million and beyond. We appreciate you guys. We'll see you guys in next week's episode. Cheers. Cheers. Well, that wraps up this week's episode of Wealth Building Wednesday. Be sure to tune in next week for more news and updates. If you got some value from today's show, all we ask is that you either leave a review on whatever podcasting platform you enjoy listening to this content on or share this with somebody that you know can gain some insight, some value from it. One of the things that you guys know about Ryan and I is, you know, we definitely won't say we have all the answers and we definitely won't say we know it all. We just want to bring conversation to the areas, the topics that we believe are really important to bring attention and awareness to, to help you sharpen your ax, put more tools on your tool belt, weaponize you to make the best decisions that align not only with your financial goals, right, but your lifestyle goals. So if you guys want to take advantage of Ryan's free financial x-ray on your investment portfolio, all you have to do is text the word x-ray to 844-447-1555. Most people have no idea what they're being charged from a fee perspective or really in most cases overcharged and whether or not their current investment plan is actually aligned with what they're trying to accomplish and by when. And this is something Ryan does for all of our listeners for free. So be sure to take them up on that X-ray, one word, 844-447-1555. Also, if you are someone who is serious about building your wealth and you're already kind of established, but you want to surround yourself with other like-minded, high net worth individuals 
Be sure to text WEALTHCAMP, one word, to 844-447-1555 to learn more about our intimate five-star experiences with other like-minded business owners and investors to cross-pollinate, to hear what they're doing, and to have a whole hell of a lot of fun while we're doing it. And last, if you want to know more about consulting or getting mentorship directly from me or from Ryan, you can learn more by texting the word MENTOR to 844-447-1555. With that being said, that's all for this week. Until next, keep investing in yourself and your wealth on your March to a million and beyond. Cheers, my friends. Cheers.